Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I am Ben Rothenberg, joined by Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. How are you doing? Hello, Ben. I'm doing all right. Glad to have you on NCR, as always, or as sometimes. <laughs> hey, and... that's two episodes now, like in a week. And, spoiler, I think our next episode is probably going to be the Zanetsk uh... episode, so you will be on a streak of three. Well, one of them one of them is going to be the Patreon-only episode, so, you know, half credit for that, but still. Like... Half credit? How dare you? It was How good. dare you? It was. I shouldn't give half credit, even double credit, because it was long and pretty good. So yeah, people can check that out on Patreon. But we are not just the two of us here. We are reaching across the pond to bring in Tumani Carriol of The Guardian to make a, a return and see our guest once more. Tumani, how you doing? Hello, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> Loaded question, uh, how you doing? We went over that before yeah. the show, but. Um, I'm, 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 I'm surviving so far, yeah. In this moment, we're, like we're glad to have you. And Tumani, we wanted to have you on here because we're going to talk about issues related to the article which you wrote for The Guardian uh, earlier this week about, or maybe last week, like time time is a blur at the moment, but about issues with, that happened within the last 10 days uh, regarding the death of George Floyd in Minnesota, and which has now been, deemed a homicide and a murder and people multiple people getting charged now for that which is to our liking i think i can speak for the group i am uh curious tamani you focused on this in this article on two women in tennis who've been sort of leading voices on this young voices on this coco golf and naomi osaka and i'm curious if you can just sort of talk through what stood out to you about these two women and what they've been doing uh the past few weeks yeah i mean first i guess the what interests me a lot is the fact that as, as we know, they're two of the biggest young stars in tennis, probably two of the biggest young sports stars right now. And and with that comes a lot of kind of baggage of of people around them wanting to, I mean, of, you know, pressure to act in a certain way that people are making money off them. And so it's just been interesting to see them kind of fit into these roles. Both of them have been very active on social media. They've been out protesting but just before um we we came on air um coco golf was marching in i i assume florida just cutting in for a quick second here to insert some audio which came out right after we finished recording this episode of coco golf speaking at the protest she was at in delray beach florida here is coco in her own words my name is Coco, and who just spoke was my grandma. And I think it's sad that I'm here protesting the same thing that she did 50 plus years ago. So I'm here to tell you guys this, that we must first love each other no matter what. We must have the tough conversations with my friends. I've been spending all week having tough conversations trying to educate my non-black friends on how they can help the movement. Second, we need to take action. And yes, we're all here protesting, and I'm not of age to vote, but it's in your hands to vote for my future, for my brother's future, and for your future. So that's one way to make change. Third, you need to use your voice. No matter how big or small your platform is, you need to use your voice. I saw Dr. King quote that said, the silence of the good people is worse than the brutality of the bad people. So you need to not be silent, because if you are choosing silence, you are choosing the side of the oppressor. So 
to I heard many things this past week, and one of the things I heard is, well, it's not my problem. So this is why I have to tell you this. If you listen to black music, if you like black culture, if you have black friends, then this is your fight too. It's not your job, it's not your duty to open your mouth to say, Lil Uzi Vert's my favorite artist, but I don't care what happened to George Floyd. Now how does that make sense? So I demand change now, and I'm, it takes sad that it takes another black man's life to be lost for all of this to happen, but we have to understand that this has been going on for years. This is not just about George Floyd. This is about Trayvon Martin. This is about Eric Garner. This is about Breonna Taylor. This is about stuff that's been happening. I, I was eight years old when Trayvon Martin was killed. So why am I here at 16 still demanding change? And it breaks my heart. Because I'm fighting for the future for my brothers. I'm fighting for the future for my future kids. I'm fighting for the future for my future grandchildren. So we must change now. And I promise to always use my platform to spread, spread vital information. Both of them have been very explicit about, you know, the reason why about police brutality, about, you know, racism, obviously, but also police brutality, which is something that people you know, when people have spoken about it, they don't often, you know, think about, think about, and, you know, with both of them, it's two, two completely kind of different routes to this, you know, with Garfitz, she's, I mean, she's only 16, and the f the first time I met her was in Roehampton at Wimbledon qualifying last year, and even back then, she was already talking about, you know, how she want, you know, it, how she wanted to not only be a tennis player, but to you know, share messages and to be, you know, talking about her history, about black history. She'd already done things about that. And, you know, hearing her talk about Juneteenth, for example, back then, and, you know, you, you wonder just, I mean, for me, just, it's interesting to see she's been kind of made into a worldwide star. And, you know, she had her, her team is in her agent, her agency is in Europe and, so yeah, just just to see kind of her showing her path and, and and doing all of this, it's I don't know, it's interesting to me. And just, sorry, I'm babbling, but with, with Osaka, well, we can start with we can start with Coco if it's easier. If there there are kind of separate cases, I guess here. So maybe we can just yeah, start yeah. with Coco here. Yeah, I, I agree with you too. Seeing how sort of aware and engaged she was, that was in Roehampton also with you last year, and that she was so you know, interested and engaged and eager and articulate and passionate about these topics, about black history issues and things like that. When again, when so often you see a kid, especially a really great tennis prodigy, and they just have total tennis tunnel vision in their lives. By design, they really have blinders on to the outside world and they don't know much about the outside world. And Coco's clear curiosity and care for these things, these issues, and willingness to put them out there is something that I found really remarkable. And yeah, and, and at odds of the sort of what we perceive as how young athletes are being packaged in a sport that can be very sanitized a lot of times. I mean, Coco at age 15 was already had a you know clothing deal with New Balance, already had a sponsorship deal with Barilla, the Italian pasta company. And so for her to be, you know, speaking about things which some people would probably be which I, you know, obviously I believe, I'm not sure all of us believe are totally valid topics, but which would make people uncomfortable, especially maybe outside the U.S. or who don't understand the context of what she's coming from, uh, I found really remarkable right away. And it, it's pretty telling that she's been continuing to be a, a leader on this 
Uh, Courtney, I don't know if you want to jump in on anything you've seen from from golf early on here. Yeah, I mean, I think what's really stood out just in, you know, being around Coco Golf and, you know, watching her in interviews and um, how she's handled the spotlight, how she's handled the, the scrutiny, um, and has been so refreshing because there's just this um, – this purity about it, this innocence about it. There isn't, you know, when she weighs in on these topics, it, it, it doesn't even seem like she's given it, like she's gone into the press conference or gone into that interview or is stealing herself before a question to be like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to unleash now, or I'm going to now, you know, I'm going to say something. It just seems so conversational with her and, and the knowledge and, and just how she's been, um, you know, schooled and just her deep-rooted history already at, at, at 15 and 16 um, has really stood out. And I think that her willingness to speak and her willingness to be as active as she has been on social media to be, um, and in a way that is, is, it's not in your face, but it's not not in your face either, you know? And I, I don't mean to put value on either of those those two um uh, polls, but I mean, you know, the video, the TikTok videos she posts, and um, you know, the the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor um, uh, Black Lives Matter posts that she like videoed of herself yeah. in the hoodie, you know, things like that, and and it it's so um, it comes out early, it came out earlier than when the groundswell of everything was happening. I don't know. So there's so much about what she does, about the way that she goes about her business, and um, both politically and also just about her game and on court and off court and everything that just seems, I don't know, the, the phrase that keeps coming on, coming to my mind when I think about the, about her activism is kind of like, why wouldn't I, right? Like that would be her kind of quizzical response to anybody being even approaching her and saying, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe this is not the right time or maybe, you know, like that, you know, all the baggage like Tamani was discussing of what, you know, a, a young, a young superstar would bring to the table that just doesn't ever cross her mind. And I think that that makes it all, you know, even more powerful. I think the word that sort of comes to mind to what you're saying, Courtney, is like disarming almost. It's so like matter of fact, yeah. the way that she does it, that it it sort of catches you by surprise, even if it's not the first time that she's doing something like this. Like it's just all, there, there's a sort of, this is maybe a bit too doe-eyed way to say this, but it's almost like the sort of like youthful, like innocence, I don't know if that's the right word about it, but just something like very like, basic and unfettered about the way she does it that makes it feel very natural and very pure to her and very authentic in a way that I think makes it really resonate too. And that, you know, and she pretty much like Tamani and I said, we, I mean, Rohampton was the first time that we, we met her or we talked to her really at length in person. And she was already, again, at 15, already sort of very comfortable in this, in this lane, which we see a lot of athletes struggle to ever get comfortable in or a lot of public figures who are not, naturally political people struggle to get i mean comfortable in Tawani, did you send, were you surprised when you when we first met her in uh, in Roehampton? what was your initial reaction to, to coca golf and the sort of stuff she was talking about yeah uh, so i hadn't followed her so much i mean obviously you knew about what she was doing in juniors and her potential and all of that stuff but i wasn't following her social media closely so i remember it was you who asked her about you know what she'd been posting on social media and so yeah it, it was definitely kind of a surprise to see it immediately and before she became you know this big deal you know it, as as Courtney said it, it it's very natural and it was natural when her audience was 5,000 followers compared to now it's 100 and 
you know, whatever, over 500,000, I think, on Instagram. So, you know, it's it's normal for her. And I, I guess that... I guess there's also the the why 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 she's like that, and I I, I think presumably it's partly due to her upbringing. I remember, I know you talked to her father, and he was very kind of clear that he he wanted her to change the world yeah. on and off the court. And I, I think it's also so it's it's partly her upbringing, and and also her grandparents are you know are quite distinguished, you know, black African Americans, you know, in in the past, um, and also partly I think just a reflection of kind of the social media generation where you know you can access all this information and a lot of young people are doing so and they're you know questioning beyond just what they're taught in school and and that's i think with naomi as well that's this is the result in a way yeah no it's a new generation for sure and it's been it's been something that i've been you know very much sort of waiting and this is not exactly the same topic but very much waiting for younger people to sort of match the political energy of, of their peers within tennis. I mean, like when, you know, with Margaret Court, let's say, when Margaret Court is the one who's like the most, the most outspoken against Margaret Court have been people who are over 60. That bothers me, or that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, including John McEnroe, right. It's, being, it's the one out there marching with a sign. Shout out to Laura Robson for not fitting in this group. But for the most part, it's- I was about to I say, know, justice for- No, there is no, there's never room for Laura <laughs> Robson erasure on no challenges remaining, as we well know. Correct. But uh, yes, but recent, more recently, since Laura's been out of the sport, it's been these older players like Billie Jean King, like Martina Navratilova, calling on the name to change, calling the boycott. And these players have just not cared. They have not summoned the most basic level of protest or solidarity with this cause. And what we usually think of as, you know, in LGBT causes as being a very youth-driven thing, generally, as being a generational shift. And in tennis, that hasn't been the case at all. Now, in this in this moment of renewed Black Lives Matter focus and energy and passion, we do see that coming from the young people. And I guess now we can shift to Osaka, who I think has had a really remarkable couple months here. I mean, Tumani, you, you sort of sketch it out in your story. And I do think these milestones are important to mention. What happened with Osaka before the last couple of weeks? I mean, she had talked about not wanting to be shy. Forbes names her the highest paid female athlete in the world. So you talk about the corporate pressure, like she's now number one, passing, passing even Kani Shikori uh, in terms of earnings, which as people know, uh, the Kani Shikori money is real money. So that's a, that's a lot in passing Serena as well and every other female athlete. Sidebar, ridiculous and pathetic that there's only two female athletes in the top 100 of the Forbes list. But Osaka's number one on that list. And uh, she more recently has come out of her shell, started doing these interviews on her Instagram live with players like Gael Mafis and uh, Stefano Tsitsipas and Iga Sviantek, which were mostly about non-political topics like <laughs> chocolate ice cream. Um, although it's own political undertones, I guess, uh, they're at least cultural undertones. And yeah, and so, and now she's, she's really taking the sort of not being shy thing she said really to heart, I, I guess. And, Tamani, what have you made just knowing knowing Naomi of, of her personal uh, movement here? Because it seems pretty dramatic shift from Naomi, really. Yeah, I think I, I'd also add, which I, I didn't mention. You know, if it's it feels like years, but the last time she played, she, it was Fed Cup, and she was I, I forgot who she faced, but but she lost. But she got bageled by some Spanish person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forgot that. And she, she she was crying on the court. It was not good. It came after she just lost to Goff at the Australian Open, which was a, I mean, for her a really bad performance, you know, to be honest. And 
you know, this has not been easy, adjusting to being who she is now. And so, you know, that for a lot of people that they could go even further into their show, right? It could make them close, you know, close their borders and not want to be distracted by anything. So with that, in addition to the fact that we know, like, you know, as, as charming as she is in interviews, particularly like around journalists who she knows, you know, she's, she's an introvert. She's shy. She doesn't like to talk to people as she always says. So, so just, just seeing her come out of a show like this and, you know, not just be, being for Black Lives Matter, but, you know, over the, even just over the past like week, we've, her, her voice has grown. She's now, she's been, you know, arguing with people throwing a few insults, yeah. which we, we would love to see. And yeah, and, and that's, yeah, that's where she is. We've now. we've known that Naomi knows how to clap back as we saw for whoever made fun of her sister that one time. Yeah. But I mean, just here's some, but she's been sort of confrontational or, or sort of more direct in a way that's new. And I'll read a couple examples, Courtney, and then you can share uh, what a shift this is. But Naomi uh, said uh, tw- a couple of tweets from her. When you tweet about the lootings before you tweet about the death of an unarmed black man, followed by four clown emojis. I see people <laughs> ghost on Twitter for a week when the events first started unfolding, but as soon as the loot is started, they sure are quick to give us hourly updates on how they're feeling once again. Smiley face. <laughs> and I'm torn between roasting people for only posting the black square this entire week or accepting that they could have posted nothing, so I should deal with this bare minimum breadcrumb they've been given. They've given. One last one. It's fine to me the people who want to wear chains, blast hip-hop in the gym, attempt to get dapped up and talk in slang are suddenly quiet right now. So Naomi is... As she said about you know in her she's coming she's coming for next right now I think is <laughs> is what's happening. This is different from Naomi, isn't it, Courtney? Yeah, it is. I would argue it's it's more though just the natural progression. I and I I get the 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 reaction that wow this is a shift and all that sort of stuff. But even if I flash back to like when she was she was fifteen or six sixteen fifteen sixteen Stanford, like she was even then quietly in her own way talking about her biraciality, like her, you know, everybody says Blasian. What the hell does that mean? Like, this is her back then being pretty in tune and bringing it up out of nowhere, like, you know, on her own. I think in her own way, she has at times been, she she has been more antagonistic. This has been a thing that is, is part, this is core, I think, about Naomi Osaka, where there is right and wrong in her. There is this kind of and she's not afraid to actually say it, but the way that she says it, sometimes I think people just assume that she didn't say something, but you're like, oh, actually, if you look closely. And so even like if you look at last year, every, you know, when she started, like, I don't know what people are saying, I'm in a slump. Like, I'm not. Like, yeah. you know, little things like that about her game, when, when, when the press, when she felt press was turning on her, that fans were turning on her, you know, like, I don't see why people say I can't play on clay, like, I did okay, like, you know, like, things like that. that those were little moments, I felt, of already, like, I was like, oh, wow, okay, You're standing up for yourself, good for you, you know, yeah. and, if you, and if you track it back year by year, there was, this has been a gradual thing that has happened over time, and, um, so I feel like one of the, the milestones as well, not milestones, but um, significant events also that's happened that does kind of um, impact Naomi a lot, I do think, is, is, is Kobe uh, passing away. I think that that's somebody who meant a lot to her. And I think it rocked her a lot as well. And so, you know, all of this, I mean, you know, both Kobe and Colin Kaepernick were in her box at the U.S. Open last year. 
you know, she's been more open, you know, with her relationship with Corday. Like, there's just all, you know, going on vacations without her parents, like, living in L- or having a house in L.A., all these sorts of things. Like, it just kind of all paints the picture of, like, a young woman who was primed to step out, right, and, and yeah. kind of stand tall and stand on her own two feet and, and start taking swings. Also, I agree with that, and I think more specifically, like, with her identity, it's been, she's gradually come into that, you know, more and more. I mean, I remember when she spoke to Courtney, I think it was at the beginning of, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, the beginning of last year, and she was like, I was, I, I saw, I mean, she she was watching, I don't know, a documentary or something about other biracial people, and she realized that she could, you know, use right, her yeah. and speak out more, and throughout, and through last year, kind of, I mean, one of the big moments for me was similar to when she was kind of pushing back on people talking about her form. It was, I think, it was in Madrid when you know this the talk about the Olympics started and about people talking about whether she would represent USA or Japan. And you know, you rarely see her like not answer a question in a press conference. But in Madrid, when someone asked her about that, she was just like, "I've already said it." You know, she was annoyed. You know, as she has been in, in the past about certain questions about, you know, her ethnicity. How Japanese are you? How, you know, Haitian are you? And, and yeah, I think that's kind of developed to where she is now and where she's, you know, very loud about that. I mean, even before all of this, you remember she was put, she put up the TikTok, you know, kind of pointing out the difference between ethnicity and race. And yeah, I think it just, it, as, as Courtney said, I'm mainly repeating that she's kind of, she's growing up and that's what we're seeing we're seeing what she's growing into yeah no absolutely right from the beginning when she was you know i think that she would use probably naomi language she was pretty low-key about things early in her you know time on tour she would say things that were sort of more subtly savage and now she's just sort of done holding back or just like she's really being more blunt and whether that's just you know natural and that's one of the things i think is really interesting about this time off the sport right now i think i do think the stoppage of the sport is big reason why a lot of this is happening and i've always thought you know from back to like when i interviewed Tamea bachinski about you know her time away from the sport and finding herself in hotel management and everything like players tennis players always have more interesting stories to tell about their self themselves when they've been off tour for a while and that's when they sort of figure out who they are and, and learn more about themselves and get more comfortable with themselves and explore other things beyond just hitting a tennis ball. And I think we're in this really interesting moment in tennis where suddenly everybody is having them, that own opportunity for growth. And, yeah. and I think we see that very clearly with Naomi, especially. I mean, other players as well, but I think Naomi might be the most striking example of it because like you said, you know, she gets the questions about how, is she this, is she that in terms of ethnicity or how much is half and half. And I think what she's showing is that she can be everything she is very fully. I mean, essentially she's, you know, mostly speaking from her experience or at least from her insight from being a black person in America from her childhood. I think it's probably fair to say uh, about this recent topics, which is different, which doesn't make her any less Japanese. You know, I think that there's a sort of comfort in all different aspects of herself that she seems to be finding right now or seems to be uh, voicing that she hasn't necessarily done before. To be clear with Naomi, we've mentioned this, but she's not just like doing social media posts. She like flew out to Minneapolis to do things. Like she has very much been really on the ground as sort of closer to the to the front lines of this conversation. And it's something 
you know, whether it's Kobe, whether it's Corday, whether it's herself, that just she's really taking a much more yeah, active role in her, her own interest and in much more being much less hesitant. And I think it's really interesting to see where this will keep leading and where this keeps leading for a lot of other players too. It's not just these two women. It's it's a lot of other players who are having time to sort of figure things out and to see the world with more than just the uh, the tunnel vision that tennis sometimes allows. Without being on the hamster wheel, they can kind of find their footing. Play devil's advocate if either you want to answer this. Is there like a downside to this? I mean, there's theoretically a reason why athletes don't typically talk out like this. Is there something that either of these women are are risking by doing this or, or, or is it all all positive as far as we, we know? Uh, well, I'd, I'd say now, at the moment, I, I do think kind of the the narrative has, in this specific moment with this case, the narrative has shifted in that, you know, now suddenly Black Lives Matter has become more palatable and you see all, all these brands and, you know, everyone kind of j- jumping onto it and not, not, not fully committing to supporting kind of police brutality, but, you know, supporting the basic you know, notion of equality. And so, so in this kind of framework, not, I think them speaking out, it's not as much of a risk, but down the road and down, and if, if this is how they continue, then surely that there's a, a chance that at some point they'll say something that isn't, you know, that people don't like to hear and aren't comfortable with. And that's, I think where there could be a, a quote mark risk, but I mean, you know, it's it's also them just being true to themselves. So, yeah, I mean, I, I there may be down the road a financial risk, but I think that one thing that you know you you have to love, and what I have always really loved about about the open era of tennis is that it's open. This is not a sport where there can be a Kaepernick. Really, this yeah. isn't a, a situation where they could be, get blacklisted and they can't play the U.S. Open or the USTA bans them or anything like this because of something that they say or something that anybody else says. If somebody else wants to go out there and scream "All Lives Matter" left, right, and center and yell about looting, nothing that the sport can do about it. You can say whatever you want to say, like you know. And at the end of the day, you get to stand on the court with a racket and earn prize money. So that's why, for me, when it's like, is there a risk for them? I mean, yeah, a financial one, but I also kind of feel like, as Tamani said, like that the tenor is shifting and the conversation is shifting to where this this feels like it's just on the brink of kind of going from being the minority protest to being the majority protest, yeah. if that makes sense yeah. at all, where this is now the right side, where Black Lives Matter is the side to be on that if that you know the you know the um the the commentator for the play-by-play commentator for the sacramento kings um uh tweeted all lives matter and he was fired like the next day by the kings like this week Uh, you know and and you have like freaking dick wolf executive producer of an entire cop franchise um law and order firing writers who are posting on their social media accounts to shoot looters and things like that so I feel like that's definitely changing. And now you have, as of as we speak, it's LeBron versus Drew Brees, which I feel like is America in a nutshell. <laughs> really, that's true. But you know that whole debate. So I think that things are are shifting. But I I I take great solace in the fact that even if tomorrow their financial, you know, their sponsors all bailed on them. They would still have be able to have a racket. Yeah. They would still be able to fly to a tournament. They'd still be able to play, and I feel like that 
that is a relief, I guess I'll yeah. say, yeah. <laughs> um, when it comes to this. I will story. say also, I mean, like, yeah. it can go both ways, too. Like, you know, who notably has not had a clothing sponsor for most of their two Grand Slam quarterfinal career is Tennis Sangren. So I guess either side of the aisle can get consequences. But I think you're right that this is currently a consent. Black Lives Matter feels like it's having a consensus moment that was not the case with, like, Ferguson. You know, when people were, more people were getting offended by the phrase and there was much more all lives mattering going on around. Um, and yeah, I think that I think that now uh, it's been progress is, you know, what was sort of seen as and this goes for all sorts of different civil rights topics. But like what was seen as previously, you know, fringe extremists now sort of like you better get on the right side of history quick because it's moving very much in that direction. So there obviously will be people who will be alienated by what they're saying. And there are going to be some fans who don't want players or athletes to get political and want to think that sports and politics shouldn't mix, but that's just, that's just never been the case. And I think those people hopefully are getting to be fewer and further between. Uh, I'm curious what, what you think of the reaction to this outside of the U S and also we can get to a little bit of what Naomi alluded to in one of the tweets I read earlier about the black boxes. Um, Cause like the big four, as you posted, um, were very uh, brief, let's say, in their postings about uh, this issue. All four of the, well, the big, the big three, I guess, really, it was not Murray, right? So um, the big three posted the black box square on Twitter with like Roger put like a heart emoji, a couple other emojis, maybe like a combined total of five words. Um, do you think that's meaningful? Is that not meaningful? Or, or what do you, what do you think about how people outside the U.S. will are seeing this issue and, and processing it? And what should they do also? Actually, I think it's hard to kind of uh, separate, the, you know, the, Europe, the European response to this. It's hard to separate kind of the athletic part from, you know, the general political part. T- today, there was a big rally in London, a huge um, uh, protest in Hyde Park. And people were, you know, a lot of black people and, and people were, you know, as ang- you know, angry and frustrated and, all of the things that we've seen in the states, you know, because of because there are similar because of all the similarities and all the issues we have here, and so you know, seeing you know Osaka and and golf and other athletes being outspoken for a certain part of the population, that the people who are also affected by these same issues, it's it's as you know, as as you'd expect, uh, this it's as um, I mean, it's as powerful. It, it's seen as a good thing, and and but I, I hear it's different because you know we 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 people still don't talk about race in in the same way, and there's still kind of a naivety to kind of look across the pond and to see you know what's happening there, and to think that oh, because cops don't have guns here, that it's different because because the slaves you know, were, weren't brought here, you know, the, the majority went to places like the States, that it's different, whereas, you know, <laughs> completely ignoring the fact that Great Britain, <laughs> it was Great Britain, were the colonizers. So, I mean, that's going, that's like, I could talk about that for another two hours, but you, but you get the point, like, it, it depends on who, who you ask it, but at the end of the day, like, you know, for people it affects Yes, it's a it's a big deal. Yeah. No, I mean, you mentioned the sort of naivete. It obviously, makes me think of in the tennis context. Sasha Bayan and his tweet saying that you know race and color had never been an issue in Europe or weren't an issue at all, which got something. The new Twitter metrics are interesting. It got like thirteen thousand quote tweets in response to it, which were not 
mostly of agreement, I think it's fair to say. And, and it's been interesting, interesting also to talk about the progress of this and the consensus of this, that those sort of outlying, you know, dissenters, I think, really are fewer and further between. And Courtney, you, we were just talking during a technical difficulty break, which I think uh, hopefully listeners won't be able to have noticed in the show. Yeah, you were saying you think there are reasons why I guess this moment is resonating a more than more than it might have otherwise because of what's going on in the world right now with everyone having time suddenly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, that's. I think it, it contributes a lot, and I, in, 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 in I'm not gonna say in a good way because obviously we don't want to be shut down and be in the midst of a global pandemic while all this is happening. But the fact is that you know, if you look back at you know the major protests in the U.S. and Ferguson, obviously being probably the most recent one before this, um, you know, yes, there was outrage, and yes, there was protesting, uh, you know, across the nation, maybe not at this definitely not at this uh this level but it was covered but then monday came around and you had to go back to work and you know kids had to go back to school and life had to kind of go back to normal which meant that social media feeds weren't as clogged of uh, with the you know black lives matter type posts and also i feel like you know ferguson might have been for when we talk about this younger generation and maybe not just this younger generation but the generation that came before it mine well all generations really i mean mine as well but like you know it really was kind of the first significant flashpoint probably since the la riots mm-hmm. um if i'm remembering correctly and that had been a long time because yeah. <laughs> the la riots were in the 90s but it was a huge flashpoint and i think maybe from ferguson to now it's take that it has allowed people like non-black people to kind of catch up, get educated to figure out what white privilege means, because I don't think that a lot of that stuff was messaged very clearly um, around that time where people took that, and I think that that is why it, it led to this very defensive stance for mm-hmm. for non-black Americans, you know, of like, what do you mean, privilege? Like, you know, and et cetera. And, and I think that now over, you know, the course of two years, um, people now understand what all of these terms of art mean. And they obviously they've seen it. And I think that because there is no live sports, there is no regular television programming, there's nothing to do. You can't go to restaurants. We're all at home. Um, you, people are watching the news and people are going on their social media platforms and they are seeing with their own two eyes what's happening out there. They're seeing the way that the that the police are responding to peaceful protests. They're seeing the, the, the level of um, force that's being used against American citizens. And, you know, and, you know, the, vid- and the video of, of, of George Floyd is, is undeniable yeah. if, if people wanted to watch it. And... So it's all of this as a flashpoint, and like I saw some tweets from people in LA because LA, the police deputy police chief was like, "Yeah, we're going to be under curfew until everything calms down," and people were like, "When do you think things are going to calm down? We have nothing to do." Yeah. Like he was like, "You know, I'm just going to sit here and make a little like you know a, a rota of just like so I'm going to cover this shift, you cover that shift. If you can't cover it, I'll cover it." In terms of protesting in the streets of LA, so I think that that is where again the attention and it's going to be prolonged I, I suspect and um and then again and to have all of these athletes you know feel more emboldened maybe more emboldened now than they did when when Kaepernick first knelt you know it just it, these things take time for people to kind of like get their minds around and I feel like right now is it's weirdly this perfect storm of of um 
education, information, and time, just opportunity. And, um, you know, it, it's it's a good thing. I would, I would add from Courtney also that in, in terms of, like, people confronting, like, terms like white privilege for the first time, just kind of the, the social media social media is kind of even more powerful and kind of important than it was six years ago. And, mm-hmm. and within that kind of the black voices have risen, you know, you see kind of the prominence of black Twitter and how, you know, specific voices have risen and have been able to, you know, put these messages out there and, you know, force people to confront them and maybe back then you know when people would hear that for the first time they'd also i don't know it's not it's they they you know you you would be defensive right and but now after six years of that messaging kind of and and those voices you know the that's kind of this is the result of that influence yeah and I, i think a lot of it is also going off of tommy's point like you know it's it's tools you know like back let's say during the ferguson riots um, non-black people could see that and they could be angry and outraged and want to help but it wasn't I think as clear what they could do other than just be mad and to be, yell about it and everybody's like this is why it's important to vote like you know that sort of thing whereas I feel like this time around it's been so much more concerted of like here are the links donate sign petitions like these are the organizations you know donate to bail funds, you know, to get these, these protesters out or people who've been arrested, you know, kind of uh, improperly, um, defund the police, um, go in on those police commission calls, you know, like the LA did. Oh, wow. Um, there, it just, it just feels like there's more tools and tools. I feel that like non-black people who aren't naturally activists and aren't educated in any of this, honestly, we know how to use these, right? Like I know how to sign a petition. I know how to fucking run a paypal to like donate me like i know how to do these things and i feel like i can help and i feel i feel like you know that facilitates things as well because now you have more of a groundswell and because people feel like they can actively help as opposed to feeling i think a little bit more helpless um because they didn't know didn't know what to do you know and and i I do feel, feel like again like in terms of the education and just like how the language changes and everything of just like people realizing that it's it's not okay to just like not be racist like there's now like anti-racism which is like a term that maybe existed in 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 academia before but i feel like it's now being used far more kind of right in mainstream discussion and so yeah it just it took time but man it's just it's no. I mean, you're, this is it for a while. You're right. When someone, when someone like Logan Paul can articulate what the difference between non-racist and anti-racist is in some video that goes viral, <laughs> you know that it's, people are catching up. And also, just right. what you said on the accessibility, this goes back to Coco Goff. Like, Coco Goff took Roger Federer's black square heart emoji post and posted under it links that were, you know, useful to people to actually get, you know, information and links and donate and find out, learn more, all these different things that made it People, I think, have much more, again, this I think goes to the time and the organization parts. There seems to be much more sort of clear game planning and clear, like, okay, we know what the next steps can be after this. Like, we're not coming up with this. I'm not saying necessarily war in Ferguson, but the people know the routine now, which is sad that obviously we know people obviously have gotten used to how to respond to uh, police murdering civilians. 
but um, I think there's sort of more of an established, like, okay, we know what works. We know how these things go. And now, yeah, it was lots of people with time and energy. And yeah, this LAPD Zoom calls, my gosh, were a lot of people who clearly, who clear, there, was, there was a lot of flair to it. I yield my time. Uh, I, I yield my time indeed. There was a lot of people who seemed like, whether they're sort of performers or screenwriters or aspiring actors, whoever it is out in LA, people who were ready for their moment to be on the clock and ready to uh, to come up with some uh, some memorable dialogue there. So those that LA PD Zoom call was definitely the the bops of the summer. I think it just it just does seem like people are getting the hang of this more, and you know, there's a lot of ambient factors that make people more. Um, awaken to this. I think this all does come, you know, and just get more political for a second. This does come in the wake of 100,000 plus Americans dying from a pandemic. I mean, that'd be way worse than any other country in terms of our, our response to this. It does come in the wake of unemployment rates somewhere in the 20s, I believe, currently. Um, it does come in the wake of, you know, having unpopular leadership at the presidential level who's, you know, got impeached and got elected by a minority and things like that. Like, those are all things that I think are factors that sort of are accelerating and amplifying and, and building a, a stronger base around uh, this movement. And, and tennis players can feel that way. And, and, I, and, and you know, we've mentioned these two players too. One also other names to mention, the players who've been involved in this. Sloan Stevens has done a lot of hosting about this. Francis Tiafo, we mentioned, did the video of... It's a great video. Pretty A great video. Got incredible participation and really like the depth of getting like so many different players of color from different countries yeah. and everything involved there. Go ahead, Tamani. No, I was just saying, yeah, like it, it's, I was, it's, it seems like about, to me, about 70, 75% of prominent black players over the past, say, 25 years, you know, spanning generations. Laurie, I saw Lori McNeil. I was impressed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I saw Heather Watson and I was impressed. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, but I mean, there's all those. Play, all those things are involved there. Other players, I mean, it's not obviously players of color leading the conversation, which is great, but other players too have been, I've been, I will say, pleasantly sort of surprised by seeing like Riley Opelka's posts during this time. And obviously unpleasantly unsurprised by other players' posts uh, who are sort of other sides of the conversation who get very upset about, you know, buildings near other buildings in DC catching fire. And that's just the worst thing that could happen to humanity. I mean, like as someone who lives in DC, First of all, like stop. And second of all, like that's not even like a top fifty building in DC. Like we'll be fine. <laughs> we will be fine. <laughs> Anyhow. Yeah, and then, yeah. and I guess on, on the flip that side, that was John Isner. John Isner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you talked. You talked about. Um, you mentioned the black squares, and obviously the other side is kind of the players who kind of that was their contribution. And I mean, I, I tweeted yesterday about the the big four and they you know that and they hadn't said much and you know it isn't just them kind of in general although there is kind of a more organized set of people who are willing to do more work i, I think there's also you know it's now because it's now palatable and because it's now something that you should be on the right side of you see people kind of it's more with other people it can be more performative it can yeah. be and that kind of the limit to what they contribute and that I found that just in general not just those players but I found that frustrating yesterday you know as the day went on and my Instagram feed was just black you know black boxes and from people who hadn't really said much and and yeah I think you know what what I think we need to take away from this period is that you know that, that racism and and police brutality are things that need to be kind of tackled straight on and they and they need to be you know, with, with racism, it's it's also about reckoning with your own biases and 
reckoning with how you think about things and yeah. same with police brutality about how people hold police in such high regard in, in all situations, you know, when, you know, as we've seen, you know, the, the I mean, we saw the, the initial video, we've seen the the police kind of how how violent they have been with protesters, with peaceful protests, with, with you know, with the how militarized they are. And so I think that has to be part of it. So yeah. it, that, that is frustrating when you see kind of players and ev- all, people from all walks of life who only post for to, to post to post yeah. about it no i mean this is something this sort of that sort of dilution of it if you want to call it that of just like and this happened certainly people have commented on the last couple of years with like uh, gay pride month where like every single corporation is rolling out some like rainbow logo and some like token gesture of you know bandwagoning along with some causes to see something popular and whether that has a lasting impact on you know their own company's policies or whatever else is dubious and honestly connected. And I think that is the same thing with something like the blackout squares on social media. Like just because, you know, you um, put a square up on that day because all your favorite celebrities are doing it and everyone's doing it. So it seems like a thing to do does not mean that you're actually contributing anything meaningful to reforms that will matter. And not that every single person needs to be contributing to reforms that will matter in an active way, but I'm just saying it, it can doing that and thinking like, yeah. okay whew, look at me i solved racism is yeah. <laughs> is it's a bit it's not uh, accurate yeah and i do think too i mean it's i there i see it because they're obviously they're like you know it's big thing in america and people were posting the blackout tuesday black box and things like that and you know and a lot of those people were still doing like activism in other ways mm-hmm. Like, so it's not like it's a blanket, like if you posted this thing, yeah. like you're an idiot and, you know, it's like, that's not, that's not the case at all. But what I would hope, and this is, this is me putting on my, my optimism glasses, which are very, very dusty. It has to be said. Mine um, broke. <laughs> I don't think I've ever known you without broken glasses. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that being said, literally or figuratively, but looking forward, I would hope that at least you know, all of this quote-unquote performative, or maybe it was sincere, just tone-deaf, whatever kind of stuff that was happening outside the state. So, like, in other words, if Emma Watson, because I'm going to use her as an example, um, as a celebrity, like, she posted, like, the black box, and everything was scrolling through her Instagram, was like, hold on, like, you didn't do crap anyway. Like, you're being, you're protest, you've been silent, and now you're going to protest by being silent? Like, what is this? You know, if if the backlash to that means that it like forces that celebrity or that top tennis player or whoever it is, top athlete to like reckon with things, think about things and then be better. I'm fine with it. If this little thing was like a baby step to maybe even like just thinking about race, like 1% of your month, which is 100% more than you were thinking about it before, like good. Right. Like, you know, so but at the same time, it's it was also hard not to just because they all kind of came at the same time, too. Yeah, like it was it was weirdly it just felt really coordinated and weird and it and it was just one of those like whoa read the room homie because if y'all just scroll your Twitter for a split second like you would have seen yeah. what the situation no is. and and you're and, right yeah. because I think I cannot remember previously any posts about race by you know a Federer or an Adal type so if this is your baby step into this arena. I guess it's I guess it's more than nothing. And if this is like Roger learns from Coco Goff, yeah, 
great of like where like he's like oh okay i see where because i don't think that their hearts are in the wrong place like you know what i mean like i really don't i don't think that but i do think that there's definitely again when we talk about the facility of language and tools and understanding exactly what the problem is why people are protesting why black americans are angry why they have every right to be angry what, you know like when it comes to all of that i don't think that those discussions those discussions aren't happening at every dinner table in america let alone happening at a dinner table in switzerland right yeah or mallorca right. or yeah. wherever novak is these days they just aren't and they're not happening at even like the most uh, you know you know at andy murray's t- table it's probably not happening either you know like and he and he might be having more of those discussions but not the same so I'm, that's why I'm like kind of curious, like from the European, from the non-American perspective, like looking at it, does it just look like spectacle? And it's like, oh, those crazy dumb Americans, like, you know, slavery, bad idea, guys. Like now, this is what you get. Like, you know, like is that fair take? By what the it way. is? Or do they? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But do, but do you? But do like you know? Do 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 people in the UK? Do people in Europe really think that like like non? black Europeans or non-black British like really think that like they get the same scrutiny yeah. as a black citizen. Like it's unbelievable. It would be such a bald faced lie, like for anybody to say that. And I think that that's where it has to start. And like, once you answer that question that like, you know, a non-black person is going to be treated differently than a black person, like going into any store in any place in the world, yeah. <laughs> like, then you can't really have the conversation until you until people like honestly reckon with that. And then, you know, if my parents can understand it, everybody else can. So. I just point out the just to be specific because I got because again because there's nothing else to do. There was this stupid uh, uh, Australian article about me calling out Federer, which I don't really honestly know if I did or not. But they're so obsessed. Australia with you. is obsessed with me. You were I don't, big in Australia, honestly. Man. Like if only I could get paid, and you know. Tim Tams, whatever currency they use down there, I'd be a rich, rich man in body and soul. But I, I think that because um, like a lot of Federer fans were thinking defensive about this in my mentions, all I have to say is no. Doing charity work in Africa has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. Those are not like one does not prove the other. That, that's my thought on that. Like you can't just yeah. say, oh, Federer is unimpunable on race and great because he did charity work in South Africa. Like no, I don't. I don't begin to buy that. Sorry. Yeah, and and you know, obviously the the counterpoint, as Courtney kind of mentioned, would be that they're not they're not from the states. You know, not you know people think the United States is the center of the world. No, it isn't. I think in the one thing actually I thought was quite sad. Sad, I guess, was that so few of the top players actually shared TFO's um, video. Hmm. You know, yeah. you know, it, you saw it from just listing them like Wawrinka. As Arenka did, um, Kleisters, that, that I was surprised by that, um, and and a few kind of other, a few other kind of mid mid range players, some lower rank players, but I mean those are your colleagues, right? And and that's the video that's not just Americans; it's across four different continents, across different generations, and I mean I, I find it hard to believe that you know all of these people didn't see it. So I, I did find that quite sad that you couldn't, you know, if you're not even if you're not prepared to step into political you know because of how how you've been the whole time you're not going to step into that kind of politics that you couldn't support your you know you couldn't kind of signal boost you know what your colleagues were doing so yeah 
Yeah. I mean, the simple retweet would have been far yeah. more effective than the black box. Absolutely. Right? So, <laughs> you know, and, and who did the calculation? 32 million combined followers between... Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I was the same as you, Tamini. I was, like, quite surprised that, you know, whether it was, like, Francis's tweet or Serena actually had the full yeah, video. Yeah, Serena was, yeah, the one to share, I think, even. So, so if you wanted to share, like, the full one on Twitter, you just had to retweet Serena's tweet. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was noticeable. <laughs> Any closing thoughts here as we uh, wrap up this thing from either of you? <laughs> I cede the floor to Tamini. I yield um, my time. <laughs> I yield my time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I, I don't know. I, I think that's about it for me. I, I to, to mention Laura Robson. I, I enjoyed her response to Ali Kick. You know, she she does deserve a mention. I don't know if you saw it, but Laura's been Laura's been a real one since she was. Yeah. 14, yeah. 15. Yeah. <laughs> 14, 15. So, in yeah. In response been... to uh, Lisa Raymond, also, at that exchange. With, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with, uh, yeah. with uh, Chanda Rubin then chiming in there, too. Yeah. And, and Chanda saying that Laura's response inspired her to, <laughs> to then kind of speak up. You know, I mean, that's the thing is that it, there just needs to be a little bit more of that support, you know, from that I would like to see anyway, from, from the players to each other, to, you know, and that's almost kind of one of those, like, you know, inst- you know, uh, everybody keeps saying, you know, with the protests, you know, be that, you know, that white girl that stands in front of the, the, the kneeling black protester to stop the, the, the cops from, from abusing him. Um, it, it was just kind of one of those, like, small little Twitter examples of that, where, you know, it, it's almost like Laura kind of gave cover a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I think I'm, I'm very excited for the future of the sport. <laughs> I'm very excited for these kids. Um, I think that it, it's it's great that they're finding their voices and and finding and learning how to use their platform. Because I think one thing, and this applies to tennis all the time, whenever you know, because especially on the WTA, like we have stars that are made overnight often because of of who wins the slams and things like that. And it can take every player's different, but it takes time to learn how to use that newfound fame and that newfound um, platform and a voice that it freaks people out when all of a sudden nobody cared a crap about what they said before. And then all of a sudden, because they won seven matches, they now every single word that they say gets thrown back in their faces. And so it takes a while to really reckon with that and to come to grips. And some players are better with it than others. Some players respond with, I ain't saying crap because I just don't want to deal with it which fair enough. I don't, I don't walk in your shoes. Like I don't see the messages you get, like that's fine. But so it's not like, this is all to say, like, you know, we were talking earlier in the conversation about, yeah, like kind of Naomi. Oh, now she's growing into it. It's like, she's also kind of like, you know, now this is like her kind of third year of being, of figuring out things and they're young. Um, and we have to, we have to give these players time to kind of figure out, you know, credit to credit to Naomi and Coco and a bunch of other players for, you know, Christy's been really cool um, on social. You know, it's been it's been cool to see, um, and uh, hope, hope continues because you know it's needed. And if not because they can't change the world, but at least maybe they encourage their fellow players, like right to like vocalize. Yeah. And, and and I think that it I think that it makes the sport a more interesting. It makes the locker room a more interesting place. 
having all these players have, having had this time for personal development and growth and finding themselves in this time. I was talking about this actually with Nick McCarvel in a separate topic on sort of LGBT uh, issues, saying that, you know, I thought it was entirely possible that we might get more players coming out right after this pandemic because of them having more time to find themselves and to get comfortable with themselves and to realize, to see the sport and the social dynamics of the sport from a bit of a distance and get some clarity there. And and this goes to this uh, other issues too. And I hope that the players can just realize that, you know, that tennis in itself, and this goes to I think what you were saying, Courtney, about sometimes being surprised by their platforms, which can't come pretty suddenly, but that being a, a professional athlete, especially being a female professional athlete is kind of an inherently political role in a lot of ways. And I hope that yeah. this, this moment gives players more time all players even ones who have not been um you know the vocal leaders on this particular topic i'm thinking of someone like even like current wt number one ash barty like that you know there is a, a real platform that you have there through doing that and that you can make a lot of it that you do have real symbolic power in that in that position and to uh and yeah and as we you know and in te- conversations with outside of tennis or inside tennis when it comes to gender treatment or our record or whatever like you know there is lots of room for you to continue being a vocal person on tour it doesn't just have to be outside the sport and you don't you don't have to completely isolate those two sides of yourself they, they can't be more unified than that oh but um, okay finally this is completely a different subject from that but Love it. i'd like to shout out, shout out to john boyega from um star wars <laughs> yes. I, don't know, I don't know if you saw um well he t- today he was at Hyde Park in London, and he gave a really emotional speech. And you know, to, to kind of go back to Courtney's point about just Europe, I, I do think that people do look at the states as kind of, you know, especially with Trump now, it's 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 this kind of alien place where these things happen and it, it doesn't happen elsewhere. And and so I think that's you know, it's it's been kind of great to see how this has you know this is having an impact on. On, on particularly like black people coming out and you know protesting it. I mean, in the middle of a pandemic, that's still scary. Yeah. And and they're on And it seems that I mean, it's clear that people are determined to make sure their voices are heard, even though this is a very hard time. Like it's it's very traumatic to constantly see, you know, black people being killed in the streets and the same thing over and over again. But you know that this is it's also inspirational to see people you know constantly being resilient and reacting and trying to make think you know make their voices heard that's why no, good stuff <laughs> that's that's good you get the last word there you go thank you very much Shivani, for being on here very much appreciate it and hope you stay well and everyone over there in britain and europe as well because as you mentioned there we are still in a pandemic which does make again these sort of crowds of protesters of the street uh, all the more striking and somewhat terrifying and hope everyone's staying yeah. safe out there because still because that cloud is not lifted so hope everyone's staying safe yeah thanks for having me and i'm glad i got to talk to both of you at once i know uh, <laughs> i don't need that shade man she, no, no the thing is she does she does need that shade so thank you too honey <laughs> so once again thank you to Timani Carroll for coming on ncr once more glad to have him on here with myself and courtney if you want to follow Tumani, which if you're not already on Twitter, he is at Tum Carryall. We'll have a link to his Twitter in the description of this show as well. If you have questions for any of us, or me and Courtney, send them to no challenges remaining at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. And thank you especially to our Patreon backers, 
patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. This is the first episode of the month, so we have a bunch of thank yous to get through here. Firstly, thank you to our new backers since our last episode, who would be Joy Sims, Susanna W., Tim, and Ewan Thompson. Thank you to you four for joining on. Thank you now to the on-tour level backers who get thanks from us our first episode of every month. This would be Andrew, Andrew Eccles, Brett Halsey, Brian Rolick, Carol Allen, Dermot Harkin, Erica Jane Glamgoles, Ava Marshalkova, Jillian Dobson, Greer Millard, Helene DeVitt, J.B. Wogan, Jeremy Blackstone, John Fisher, Kate S., Lori Porter, Rumdwalv Wong, Steph Chow, and the Body Serve podcast. As well, also thank you to our Slam Champ backers who get thanked on every show. Chuang Nguyen, Jonathan Weinbaum, Liz Kennel, Betty, Mary Carrillo, and Susanna W., who's a new Slam Champ level backer. Thank you to you, Susanna. And thank you to our GOAT backer, J-O-D. We will see you guys again with another show soon. Hope everyone is staying well and safe out there. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.